0: Today on Sagittarian Matters, advice on everything with my guest, Michelle T. Stay tuned. Sagittarian Matters, Sagittarian Matters, what's the Michelle T is a great friend to the podcast. In fact, she appeared on our very first episode recorded in Tualatin, Oregon. Michelle is the co-founder of the queer literary tour Sister Spit. She's the author of the books Valencia, The Chelsea Whistle, The Mermaid in Chelsea Creek, How to Grow Up, and the upcoming book Against Memoir. Michelle came to the Los Angeles studio with producer Ponyo and I to answer advice questions about everything. Some of them are even a double take of things we talked about with our other first episode guest, Beth Ditto. I hope you enjoy my talk with Michelle T. So, the first time you were on the show, we were at a farm in Oregon mm-hmm. where there were llamas and goats and chickens yep. and a cat and a barn owl and a barn out two two barn owls maybe one barn owl maybe one barn owl owl pellets mm-hmm. everything yeah and you gave we talked about just to refresh people if people haven't been listening to all 100 episodes <laughs> what have you been
1: doing with your life
0: yeah what have you been listening to instead savage love um the savage love cast sorry uh I want people to know that we were talking about Buddhism as it applies to traveling. And I was talking about how wherever I go, there I am. Like, wherever I am, I just think this is my new life. And I don't think about where I'm going. Like, if I'm on a plane, I don't think, I'm so excited for the plane to land so I can be in Hawaii. I'm just like, this is my new life. On this
1: plane. Forever. Yeah. That's a really lovely way to be.
0: Thanks. I don't know if it's because like, I have a head injury or like a goldfish <laughs> or what, but it is a little bit like I'm like, this is my life. It's then- not just like you're really present,
1: like truly present, like ha- happy and connected to like your, whatever your environment happens to be at any moment.
0: Yeah, I yeah. try. But then, you know, somebody asked me, friend to the show, Katie, at some point was like, well, what do you do when there's turbulence? And that's your whole life. And I'm like, life really sucks in that moment. But then you were saying your Buddhist
1: philosophy about turbulence. Yeah. Um, Oh, which is staying present through the, tur- like, through the turbulence. Right. Because everyone's fear, if you're in your fear in turbulence, you're like, oh, the plane's going down, I'm going to die. But I had this revelation once on a plane during a time of my life where I was studying a lot of Buddhism where I was like, oh, you can just stay present in the turbulence all the way up until the moment of your death. Yeah. If, in fact, that's what's going to happen. So if you're in turbulence, you're just like, oh, I'm just, here I am in turbulence. Yeah. And as long as you're not tripping about what that means in the future, you're just in turbulence.
0: Do you apply that to other aspects of your life?
1: I feel really inspired to right now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Like turbulence in like different relationships or dynamics or in business or whatever? No, I don't. Maybe if I had continued studying
1: Buddhism, I would. Maybe it would have bled out into other areas of my life and been more helpful. No,
0: I just (laughs) sit in fear and wonder why things aren't going my way. Like I, everybody else. I realize that I have a lot of anxiety when things I care about are in other people's hands. And mm. so then I get really impatient yeah. and I want things to happen immediately because otherwise I'm filled with anxiety. Yeah. That's that's something I need to apply a little Buddhist philosophy to. That's
1: really good too. It's really good to remember that you're not in charge of everything all the time, but it's hard because like you're a self-starting person. I am like that too. So I, I relate to that. Like if you want to make something happen, you just like go make it happen. But at some point as an artist... You reach the limits of what you can make happen, and sometimes you got to, like, sync up with other people, and then you're reliant on them, and that is so hard.
0: It's very hard for me as someone also who... I'm not only a self-starter, but most of my work is done alone. Yeah. it's so then when I have to collaborate with people, mm-hmm. if we're not doing the exact same thing at the exact same time, I'm like, this is anarchy! Forget it! Yeah.
1: I don't I don't love collaborating with other people. I have figured out ways to make it work and enjoy it. Like, realistically, like, other people um, have great ideas. Like, things occur to other people that would never occur to me. So it's only to my benefit to collaborate with people. But it is really hard when, like... You're a kind of like writer, and it's a solitary act, and you get used to like for decades working like that. Yeah. So it's hard to let somebody else in.
0: That's how I feel. I mean, I feel like the value of collaboration is something I think about all the time when people say, Do you design your own tattoos? As if you have nothing, you have no say in it, and you just walked in <laughs> the tattoo parlor, and a guy just like grabbed you and just started tattooing whatever he wanted on you. <laughs> but I'm like, Well, yeah, I mean, like, I was, but I, but I like to collaborate with people that I trust as tattoo artists because their vision is going to be interesting. and going to bring something to it uh-huh. instead of me drawing my own tattoos and looking at my own drawings. That would be so funny if you basically had like little like ponios
1: all over you and like it <laughs> basically looked like the inside of one of your books.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I'd like to have someone like, it just looks a little bit different than what I would do. Yeah. Not that different. Anyway, <laughs> um, Michelle, I found this list on Facebook uh-huh. of a bunch of it was like list. I don't know, it was like 25 things about you. We don't have time for that. Oh, 25 God. things about you. Um, and I, it was for mine, mine was from 2009. But I want to know, will you tell wow. me five things about you? I'll start. Okay. Okay. I rarely have sex dreams, only dreams where I'm taking the moral high road and pushing people away who want to have sex with me. <laughs>
1: I, can I just tell you that the Me Too movement has has like ruined my dream life actually because like I'm I, I do have sex dreams and I love having them and they're always inappropriate and I get a little bit lucid and I'm like, Yeah, this is fine. This can totally happen. And I just like totally encourage like disgusting things happening. But I had this dream the other day with this guy, just like I was at some party and this guy just like grabbed my boob. And I was just like, My first thought was like, Oh, cool, hot, you know, and then I was like, Wait. That's not okay. And I just like grabbed his hand. I was like, that's not okay. Me too. Me too,
0: everybody. Me too is happening. And then just like ruin my sex dream. <laughs> that was one of my dreams. I was in there giving you a thumbs up. <laughs> okay, my next one is I have fallen in the spirit at a miracle healing mass before. Wow. That is really special. Yeah. Do you have a what's a f fa- just another fact about you? Um
1: I auditioned for the TV show putting on the hits when I was in high school. What's that? It was a lip sync show <gasps> called putting on the hits. You could do that. I tried. I tried. I was Nina Hagen. I was lip syncing to gods of Aquarius. Oh my God. I think it was a little too avant garde, but I wore a prom dress and really elaborate eyebrows. And I had my two friends behind me pretending to play a guitar and a bass.
0: Everything about that is incredible. It was cool. Um, this was from 2009. I said, my new joke is telling people that my stash is an ironic mustache. <laughs> a fem mustache being a mustache on a fem person. Right, right.
1: Um I had a birthmark removed from the back of my head when I was in second grade. It was pretty major, really. I, yeah, yeah, and um they had to take a skin graft from skin on my butt. So now I have a big um bald spot on the back of my head that's actually my butt skin.
0: I've never noticed that. Is it really? very soft? Yeah, it is pretty soft. Yeah. Um I'm touching it right now. Once I successfully pulled the old switcheroo in which I was dating one person, switched to dating their roommate instead, then switched back once we had broken up. That is
1: so <laughs> daring. I can't believe that you did that. I was like
0: 23 years old and it wasn't planned ahead of time. It just felt like that's what was happening. Oh my god! It just felt very organic, the whole thing.
1: Right. And, and I didn't really get killed mad at you.
0: Not that I know of. Wow. The first person, I think, part the key to this switcher was the first person was very like they were kind of detached, like they were kind of just like, sure, if you're here, that's fine. If it goes away, that's fine too. They weren't like super, you know. I just that's fine. That's fine. Like that's
1: a fine. burp. I'm really sorry. You're in
0: a burp friendly space. Okay. Okay. So that was my most that was a daring moment for when I was 23. Wow.
1: Okay. Well, 23 is a perfect age to do something like that. Also. Yeah. Um. I once spent the night in a haunted house and was being like, and was like attacked by ghosts the entire night. What do you mean attacked? I just felt like they were trying to pull me out of my body. And during that time period, I also had an orgasm in my sleep and a prophetic dream. What was a prophetic dream? It was very confusing at the time. I was on a road trip with two friends that was destined to go awry, but I didn't know that at the time because we were just at the beginning of it. And my dream was, um, a, just it was almost like a movie it was like a extreme close-up of this guy's profile and he turned to look at me and he was he was wearing like a like a kind of a cat some sort of uniform cap and he started talking i couldn't hear what he was saying his mouth was just moving and it it filled me with this extreme anxiety that i was i was seeing something i wasn't supposed to see and later that man was the guy at the greyhound bus who took my ticket when i was getting on the bus Whoa. Because the, cause the road trip went awry and I ended up taking a Greyhound bus home.
0: When's the last time you took a Greyhound? Gosh, it might have been then.
1: Which would have been like 1995 or 96? Sounds about right, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I've never taken a Greyhound. What? But that isn't one of my fun
1: facts. Hold on, but my... that is a fun fact. I mean, you're such... You're, you, you are so... You are so... And your
0: lifestyle is such that I would imagine you would have taken a Greyhound in your right? life. Yeah. I dated somebody when I lived in Portland and I was like twenty or nineteen, I dated someone who lived in Oakland who had a greyhound scammed bus pass. Oh like
1: a color that is like the height of crusty punk like wow he, this person was like the duke of like crusty punk living like so
0: every time he went to get on the greyhound it was like holding you know your heart your heart stopped you held your breath to see if they would take his fake pass oh my God. and he would ride the greyhound you know however many hours like 24 hours or however long it took to get from oakland to portland on a greyhound to come see me oh my goodness i know and then he like anyway it didn't work out Let's just say it didn't work okay. out. We're not okay. still together. So that's what okay. you're wondering.
1: I was wondering. <laughs> um, I have waited in lines at record stores to meet Sheila E., Joan Jett, Queensreich, and oh, was it Dokken? Dokken, not <laughs> Queensryche. Sorry. My bad. And the Ramones.
0: Oh, my God. Separately. The, which Ramones were there? All of them. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. They were all there. One of my friends waited in line to meet Cindy Lauper, and they had oh. her sign the Bible.
1: <laughs> and she did it. Yes, That's really which funny. I thought was
0: pretty cool. Can I
1: ask you, have you had the experience of um, people at signings asking you to sign somebody else's book?
0: No. Like, not a book for their friend, but, like, they give me a book that somebody else wrote No, asking you to sign it.
1: No. They've done that to you? Yeah. Why? I think, they, I think it's people who don't necessarily... Like, they just found themselves wanting an autograph because that's what was happening but they didn't Mm. have my book so like will you just
0: sign this and
1: i was like no i can't do that
0: like i waited in line to meet rupaul and Uh. i had rupaul sign the bag well because i you had to buy this expensive candy bar to do it and i bought the candy bar for my sister but then i was like fuck i want an autograph too yeah and i didn't have any paper or anything so i had rupaul sign the bag oh yeah and the candy bar that's cool i mean i would sign like any inanimate object just not not somebody else's book like a thomas Pynchon
1: book or something well, maybe I would do that. That would be kind of funny. Hey, do you know that um, RuPaul has a candy
0: store here in Los Angeles? That's where it was. It was at the candy store. So you've been to the candy store. I can let me tell you what happened. You guys, I swear I have a moral compass. I, I went. Me and my friend Lex, friend of the show, Lex. Went. It was my birthday, December tenth, twenty sixteen. Uh-huh. I was turning thirty six. We went to the thing. I wandered into the store. I like, just, like, stepped over a velvet rope that was, like, in the middle of this store. I stepped over this velvet rope. Like, who cares? It just looked like part of the decor. And then I went in there, and I, like, got this, like, you know, million-dollar candy, like, $7 candy bar. And I was like, okay, I bought it. And I was like, okay, now what? And they're like, oh, well, you stood in line, right? So just, like, go right in. And then I was like, <gasps> and I looked, and I realized at a different door, there was this line that was, like, blocks and blocks oh. long. And so I texted Lex. And I was like I was like, Lex, get in here now. Step over the rope. Don't say anything. Just join me. And Lex came in, who's also like a natural born shopliftery kind of like yeah. sketchy person. Uh-huh. As, like pe- somebody that could pull off a scam. Totally. And then we just like were then in the room with RuPaul. And then we got to meet RuPaul. And I got to tell RuPaul that he is... RuPaul was dressed as a man that day. That RuPaul is my meditation guru. That every time I take a nap, I think about RuPaul behind the desk in drag or not, counting down from 60... In a very no nonsense RuPaul voice, and that's how I fall asleep.
1: That is so magical. Wow. I mean, that was he honored? I mean, that's like a big deal to be somebody's like. I you're putting that person to like
0: laying them down to sleep. Like I don't. I mean, I don't know if RuPaul felt honored or not, or if he just delighted or anything. But then I don't know why I want to call everyone a they now. But then they told me that RuPaul told me that um, he thinks of a mouse hole and just looks at it and the thoughts are like the mice that come out so he just looks at the mouse hole as he's meditating and just tries to keep it empty and just kind of wonders if a thought or a mouse is going to come through I love that too yeah wow and just so as a way of just observing the thoughts that come to him as he's going to nap that's really I feel like I'm going to use that Next time I meditate. I try to use that. It's really cool. When I had headspace, hey, everyone, huge savings coming up. When I had headspace, they taught me this. <laughs> that essentially, like, your thoughts are like clouds passing by. Mm-hmm. Or, like, you're, like, observing a street and your thoughts are like cars passing by, but you don't have to stop any of them and get on. So, like, yeah. you just let the thought go past. Mm-hmm. You don't jump onto it. Classic meditation advice. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone thinks
1: that they're bad at meditation because they think during meditation and they don't understand that the whole point is that you, everyone thinks during meditation. Yeah. That the point of meditation is changing your relationship with your thoughts.
0: Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do try to keep the mouth hole clear. Yeah. And just focus on it mm-hmm. and the thing. And then like, I I'm, anyway, it's hard for me to meditate sometimes because when I take a nap every day, part of that... It's like a meditation that then puts me to sleep. Uh So I can't use the same tricks when I'm just meditating or else my body will be like, and now we're going to sleep. Yeah. And I feel like you're not allowed to fall asleep. You need to be consciously not thinking. Yeah. Okay. Advice questions. Okay. How does one get out of a life rut?
1: Oh, man, a life rut. That's so all-encompassing. I think, I guess, I would do a lot of different things, like, like just for maximum joltage. Yeah. Like, here's one thing that you can do to get yourself out of a life rut. Start doing stand-up comedy at an open mic.
0: Oh, my God. That
1: will give you a jolt. Another thing you can start doing, swimming. Mm-hmm. Start swimming. Like, wherever you are, whatever that looks like, or, like go to swimming in a pool or like learn to scuba dive like like maybe start like take some horseback riding lessons like what can you do that is like something that you've really never done before that really involves your whole body
0: mm-hmm. that's just
1: like what i would do if i was in a life rut mm-hmm. i mean that's what i did do when i was in a life rut I started, you started running i started running on the beach that was really cool i i mean doing stand-up sort of came out of feeling like i was in a life rut for really? sure yeah 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 Just feeling like, oh, I'm in this weird holding pattern because all the projects I want to do are dependent on other people's, like, allowing them to happen. So you're just sort of like, tick-tock, tick-tock. And so, yeah, stand up.
0: I think you should find some money and go somewhere weird. Yeah. When I say weird, I mean a place that you don't know. So I'm saying, like, go to Mexico. Go to... A place you've always wanted to go go i, I say mexico because it's warm mm-hmm. and it's different enough uh than my home that i feel like i'm in a different place yeah but it there's comforts there that i enjoy that's why i'm saying that place mm-hmm. um but and also like you can't drink the water or you have to like throw the toilet paper in the garbage can Instead of the toilet, like something that's different, something's yeah, it different you out of your
1: daily habits, like no. things that you do sort of on autopilot. You can't do
0: like you're not going from Ohio to Nebraska. You don't do that. Like when I go, when I go on tour to like New York City or like France or just like different <laughs> places, like, like or New big, Orleans, New Orleans, yeah. And then I go back to Portland. And I'm like, oh my god, Portland's so small. Riding my bike here is a joy. It's so easy. Whereas if you're in Portland, you're like, oh, my God, I have to go to a different neighborhood. No way. (laughs) You could also volunteer. I love volunteering, as you know. Yeah.
1: Volunteering, like, again, just like something that gets you um, around people that you wouldn't necessarily normally be around, doing something you wouldn't normally do. You're being of service, so you're getting outside yourself a little bit.
0: Yeah. Get outside of yourself. Be of service. Volunteer. I like that. By the way, I was going to say, Mexico's not weird, but it is. Just go to a place that's different. You know, like even New York, I'm like, oh, God, I have to ride the subway. And then yeah. I get home and I'm like, I don't have to ride the subway anymore. Mm-hmm.
1: Or- so you think, so f- So for you, when you go someplace that's so different, that it get- makes you see your home in a new light when you return? Yes. And you're more appreciative
0: of it? I'm appreciative of it. And I think about, and when I see my home in a new way, I can think about new opportunities in my home and how they're actually easy because they're in perspective. Mm-hmm. I dreamt
1: last night that I was in Fairbanks, Alaska. I was visiting.
0: That would be a good place to go to shake things up. Alaska. Have you ever been
1: there? Yeah, I have been. It's really cool. I really encourage people go- to go to Alaska. I'm such a beach bunny that like I never ever thought I would go to Alaska. It's like the last place in the world I thought I wanted to go, and then I got the opportunity to go, so I went, and I was like, oh wow, this is actually quite magical and cool. cool. Yeah, Did glaciers ever- calving into the ocean, taking a, a, you know, like a steam locomotive through the like frozen tundra.
0: Yeah, it's all
1: kinds. That's the kind of things you do when you are in Alaska.
0: And then what happened when you got back home?
1: Um, Well, I I don't know that I was in a rut, but I definitely felt like I'd had a, a really cool journey, like I'd really been to another land, like the landscape was so different. And like, that's really cool. Like, yeah, go someplace with a landscape that is really unfamiliar to you. I remember when I moved from New England, where I'd lived my whole life, to Arizona. I was like, "Whoa, well, I'm on Mars! What are these crazy dinosaur plants? Like, everything is red. Like, yeah, it blew my mind. It was so cool.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, here's another one. This okay. one's, this one's pretty good. Dear okay. Nicola Michelle, <clears throat> I have a friend that, as an a mar- as a married adult, has figured out he's pansexual. While it shouldn't affect the basic relationship, his wife already feels insecure about his possible attraction to other women. And he's worried telling her it's just going to give her even more people to worry about him running off with. He's hiding a part of himself that he wants to open up about so he can finally be himself. He has said he wishes he had understood this about himself when he was younger, but here he is. He's worked on it in therapy. He shared the information with his sibling that identifies as pan What can I tell him to try to help him figure out how to reveal this?
1: Huh. <laughs> I'm rolling my eyes a little bit because I don't, it's like. Hmm. Okay. Well, my I guess my first question is like, does this mean that th- that your friend wants to actually act on his pansexuality? Like, wait. Oh, I was. We might have to start my thing all over again because I was thinking pansexual for whatever reason. I was thinking polyamorous, not uh, pansexual. Pansexual. So, so he's, he's attracted to everybody. Yeah. Yeah i'm pansexual why am i so why why did i not even know that's why i feel like that was like a motherhood brain fart or something i'm not rolling my eyes um you're you're pumping your fist i'm pumping my fist i'm not rolling my eyes i'm just like wait a second so this person what just wants to like sleep with
0: lots of more people i don't understand what the problem is um well so being pansexual means that you are open to essentially every gender yeah sex kind of person yeah it's a great way
1: to be it's a great way to be um i mean does this person what does this mean does this person want to just to be able to express that how like i guess i don't understand like what this is going to look like in this person's relationship like they is it going to be like just so you know wife i'm attracted to everybody okay anyway then like are they going to want to like date like is it are they trying to open their relationship like that's a different kettle yeah, of fish yeah because that's totally that's totally different
0: um i don't know i mean it's weird that he's worked on it in therapy it's cool that he's worked on it in therapy it's weird that he's worked on what is it what is, what is he? i guess I, I feel like there's something that this person's not saying which is that it seems like the person wants to actually act on this yeah that's because what's missing from this. the thing that's that i say it's weird that it. he says he worked on it in therapy because like it I, my hope would be that someone could just be like oh i have a new attraction okay and not beat themselves about it but maybe that's different for a guy than for me it seems like this person has maybe
1: has had to struggle with like dealing maybe on some level with the their attractions or was like repressed about it or mm-hmm. maybe he's just finally come to terms with like i am attracted to people of all genders i mean i don't know i guess you just tell your wife hey i'm attracted to people of all genders and then if your wife says well what does this how does this affect me i guess you should just be ready to be like oh it doesn't i'm still monogamous just want you to know that like my gen my attraction spans you know humanity but then or you say like well actually i feel ripped off that i never got to like get down with some d so
0: I don't know. I need more information about this. Like, So, like, let's say, like, perhaps this person is trying to say they also want to be polyamorous. Yes. To practice practice some of their newfound things. Yeah. I mean, that's a different conversation, but it does just require honesty so your wife knows who she's married to. Yeah. And so she gets a say in what happens to her. Mm-hmm. So if she doesn't want to be polyamorous, and this guy doesn't, it's a deal breaker, then that's that's the information that's there
1: yeah and if your wife or some if the the, not your wife because this is you're asking for a friend but if the wife is like somehow bothered that he's pansexual i mean that's information too because i don't know like are you where is this person worried about telling their wife because maybe they're like bigoted or something or i don't know all right well so many i just feel like i really good luck with this person. good luck good luck to
0: you but congrats. I feel like I really,
1: like, messed that one up. No, like, I just don't worry positive. about it. Okay, <laughs> go back to There's it. There's an editor. There's an editor <laughs> that will help everything. Here.
0: Um, <clears throat> I am an artist who recently left my office job and went back to school. I'm trying to get some revenue streams going and one is selling cards and prints of my work. I'm also vegan. I'm trying to puzzle through what to do, how I feel about opportunities to show or sell work in places such as cafe that serves meat things, where the only thing I'd be able to have is tea or coffee. My friend's bait shop that is also a screen printing business and sells used outdoor equipment, Uh, blah, blah, blah. Exposure and money are needed, but I haven't acted on any of these opportunities because I don't feel good about them. I would prefer to never never have my art somewhere that has animal exploitation at all, but that's probably not realistic. There are compromises that are worse than others. So I guess the question is something like this. How do we as artists think through our tacit endorsement of spaces, projects, people who are involved in getting our work out there
1: Hmm.
0: um so as a vegan and an artist let me really quick say that i personally i don't lend my art to places that are meat places so like i was dating somebody at some point that owned a cheese shop that had a charcuterie counter which is um you know yeah animals yeah she offered to pay me one thousand dollars to paint a sign for her cheese shop and i said no
1: wow because i'm
0: not gonna do that not going out like that um however once i did get paid to illustrate a book about food where i had to draw a dead fish (laughs) okay i don't know it's just like whatever you whatever your personal things are but i also want to say i just started selling prints on a site called InPrint. i-n-p-r-n-t and they make prints and cards for me and so you could try putting some of your stuff online on a print yeah. on demand site like that instead of feeling like the bait shop is your only source of revenue there's
1: got to be more resources available to you than the bait shop for sure like what i was thinking was like my gosh you know if there's if you don't if you can't see a venue for your place like to sell your work like can you create a venue to sell your work like is there a way that you can i mean i don't know where you live the fact that one of your main places is a bait shop doesn't give me a ton of hope that there's like a big community of artists around you or something but if i'm wrong and there might be like what if you guys all go in to like a co-op space you know where you all sell your wares together and get other people to join in where you can kind of vet the people in the things that are being sold so that everyone's on the same page you know something like that would be cool um it seems like this is sort of a question about like selling out, right? Like that's right. what selling out is, right? It's like you're selling out your ethics for money and it doesn't seem like you know that there's even enough money in this situation to sell out. You know, it's like if you're gonna really be like sell out, I'm okay, I'm selling out my ethics like it seems like you should be getting compensated a little bit more to do something like that. Like it should be truly furthering your career, something that it would be damaging to your livelihood or your career to turn down, not like getting like compromising yourself right off the bat, like right out of the gate. For game. like twenty bucks. For nothing. Yeah, yeah,
0: totally. I mean, like I've sold my calendars at grocery stores that also serve meat. Right. I don't feel compromised about that. It's a huge grocery store. It's not built around animal yeah. animal commerce. Um but yeah. It just seems like the kind of thing that
1: some things would feel like you could go you'd be okay with it and then some things really rub you the wrong way. And even if like it's okay just to trust that internal compass, even if it doesn't necessarily like come down on some solid black or white like never anything with animals you know like it just seems like yeah you can but it doesn't seem like you want to sell them in these places like you're bummed about it already so don't do it
0: i wonder if you could set up a little tape i don't know where you live i mean the bait shop part really throws me yeah me
1: too i'm really confused about the bait shop
0: it's starting to make <laughs> me think about like the weather where you are huh. like it's making me wonder if it's a cold place because we were just talking about alaska hmm. um in which case I'm wondering if you could set up a table outside of somewhere, you know, like, could yeah. you set up a table outside of a grocery store? Could you set up a or like table? a tourist
1: place, like if there's like a tourist attraction in your neck of the woods.
0: Yeah. Like anything like that or like a Saturday market kind of yeah. thing or like, um, like a craft fair or something. Yeah. Or a start f-
1: your own craft fair.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's kind of your thing. Michelle, you just started a comedy night. I started a comedy night t- today. You started a new company <laughs> today. It hasn't even
1: happened yet. Yeah, I love starting things. It's really fun. It's really really fun. It makes it makes like the more things that you start, the more it just gives you confidence. It gives you like it makes your life feel bigger. It makes you feel like you're not reliant on other people for a lot the life you want. You know. So I say like yeah, just sniff around. See, do you have collaborators? Anyone you can collaborate with out there?
0: And just have like a sale. Yeah. Just have a sale of your stuff and just see how it goes. Low risk. An art fair of one. Art fair of one. Not to be a Seinfeld, but have you ever noticed that I never try to sell you Blue Apron on the podcast? Or that we do not disparage and bemoan trips to the post office in favor of stamps.com? Well, it is because we have no advertisers. Zero. Zero. Producer Chris, Producer Ponyo, and myself do this out of the goodness of our hearts, because we like it. If you would like to tip Producer Chris Sutton, who dedicates hours to this series every week, please, 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 please send your tip of $5, $10, who knows how much. That's your business via PayPal to hornetleg at gmail.com. That is hornet, like the insect, leg, like one of his appendages, at gmail.com. If you do this, we will read your name on the podcast. Isn't that exciting? We may have advertisers someday and we'll rant and rave about free sex toys and mattresses and blue apron and whatever. But in the meantime, thank you. We appreciate your support and I look forward to saying your name on the podcast. Producer Ponyo looks forward to it too. That was Ponyo's voice. Don't be scared. Bye. Thank you this week to Melissa Kulik, Shoshana Ruth Wechter, Mary Pinson, Jessica Vos, and Christy Herod Dear Nicola Michelle, <clears throat> I have a completed manuscript of a graphic novel on gay divorce and dogs and sex and chickens. And I'm wondering if you have any advice for me on next steps. I wrote it because I had to. I'd like to get it out in the world. Any advice is appreciated, but no pressure. Hmm. It's fully drawn.
1: Wow, congratulations on
0: finishing a
1: Total graphic novel manuscript. You can send it to me. I I edit. I edit an imprint. How do they send it to you? Um, I guess through Feminist Press. Um, you can send it to me through Feminist Press, or maybe however they. How did they get in touch? Did they did they email you? They Instagram messaged me. The Instagram message. They could message DM me. you. Yeah, DM me on Instagram, and um and we'll see if maybe it's a good fit, and if it's not a good fit for me, I could tell you maybe other publishers. Um. And this is something I think that um, a lot of authors do, a lot of writers do for each other, and artists do for each other. Um, so I would just keep reaching out to other. You know, do you know anyone who's published? Do you know people who have their books out in the world? Ask them about it. Can they can they introduce you to their editor? Um, you know, if you're if you look at small presses, small and medium presses are kind of easier to go to without an agent. If you don't have an agent, you can just kind of contact them, look at um, small presses that are publishing. Do you know small presses that are publishing graphic novels? Any pop no. into mind? I mean,
0: like I would if I was you, I would either depending on where it's at, I would look and see who are cartoonists you like, yeah. who are their agents. You yeah. can find out who their agent is by looking at their website. You know, looking at the contact page, it'll usually say, or look in their book, who do they thank? Because yeah. they'll thank their agents and they'll thank their editors. So then you can send it to their agents and their editors. People whose work you not only like, but whose work is like yours, yeah. tone-wise, yeah. theme-wise. Um, and then see what they have to say. They might have feedback for you whether or not they accept you. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I would say. But also, yeah. like, Top Shelf, Quayama Press, um, Secret Acres... The guy that does Frontier, uh, Dark Horse, there's a lot. There's a lot of small... I mean, you can also try Drawing a Quarterly, phantographics, just see what they say. And don't get discouraged because you're new. Don't get
1: discouraged. It's just about, like, finding the perfect home, and it takes a few tries sometimes.
0: But I, Nicole Georges, your friend, want to tell you, and I tell my students this, please, dear God, if you ever feel like you want this to be published, don't ink it without showing it to anyone. Because if you have edits and you've already inked in Fuck. all the typos, all the story arc, every mistake, every everything, it will take you a million billion years to fix everything that needs to be edited oh, and it might make you want to die. So Are you speaking from experience? I'm speaking from experience. Oh, Michelle, do you remember? when you had the radar writers retreat which mm-hmm. was in akumal mexico yes i got to fly to akumal mexico to be on a writers retreat with a bunch of writers who were all creating new work every morning feeling excited and invigorated and i was working on edit hand i was i had a list of edits i had to go into my man, my original pages of calling dr laura measure how big the measure how big the words were recreate that on another piece of paper rewrite the words appropriately and then give them to my production assistant to like drag and drop back in and I, the whole retreat that's what i was doing It's horrible like how, it's like
1: you're redoing your book like it takes so long to do a book and then you have to redo your book
0: yeah it was like having to redraw whole pages frankenstein Ugh. together other pages like hand edit every single thing and it took me a year and a half to do edits on this Ugh. book and by that time you don't want to do the book anymore because you just spent two and a half years drawing it yeah you don't want to spend a year and a half editing it so word oh. to the wise word to the wise
1: Golden advice here. Golden advice. This person is now like, oh my God, I've inked everything in. They're like crying right now listening to this.
0: But send it in anyway because you never know. Yeah. Maybe you're perfect. Yeah. Um, Rapid fire advice question. How do I support friends with minimal boundaries who constantly get tangled in situations where their sweet and generous nature is taken advantage of? How do I give them boundary encouragement? I think you might need some boundary encouragement.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Why don't you grab your friends and be like, you know something? I think I might be able to benefit from some Al-Anon in my life. So I'm going to go to a meeting. Will you come with me? And you guys do like a group group outing to an Al-Anon meeting and learn how to say no to people.
0: Will you describe... How does Al-Anon help people do that? Do they have to have an active drinker in their life to no, go? No,
1: you don't. Um, although like a lot of people do have, you know, people, if you think about it, you're like, oh yeah, I actually dated that alcoholic or whatever. No, Al-Anon helps humans, period. But like it's really for people who have... Um, grown up with a certain amount of chaos and when you've grown up with a certain amount of chaos it really um you don't really have boundaries because you're always sort of trying to fix people and fix people places and things and al-anon teaches you how to be able to like let everybody sort of have the dignity of their own mistakes and you could maybe see your friend get tangled in these situations and like kind of pray for them and be there for them if they come to you and say oh my god like why did this happen to me then you could be like you know it happened to you because you don't have very good boundaries but if you're running to them yourself and being like you don't have very good boundaries you're getting taken advantage of like you too maybe could use it since
0: i'm like yeah everybody needs
1: boundaries in this situation maybe
0: yeah but so how do you support your friend you just support them and listen to them and when they tell you that they feel they've gotten taken advantage of you know if they ask you for advice you can give advice but otherwise maybe just like that sounds really hard.
1: Yeah, totally. Um, or, totally, or just
0: repeat back what you heard them saying.
1: That's, that's what, what you they do in therapy, right? Yeah, that's what you do in therapy. Like that's what they That's what they teach you in couples
0: counseling. Re, well, because that's also how you can. It's weird. I hate all the things that I'm learning as I'm approaching 40 years old. <laughs> all the very basic skills of life uh-huh. that I learn or have to remember every day, like oh, people feel listened to if you repeat back to them what you understood them to be saying.
1: So, you're, so you think that people feel listened to if you repeat back to them <laughs> the things that they say?
0: Michelle, I feel so listened to right now. I really have that with moments where people are freaking out and I'm listening and I just want to be like, yeah, sure, anyway. But I realize if you pause and you're like, oh, it sounds really hard. It sounds like you're really frustrated that your employee did this and this and this and they're like, yes. Yeah.
1: And this is Parenting 101, too. Like, I have to do this with my three-year-old all the time. Be like, oh, I see. You, like, narrate. You're like, oh, I see that you're crying right now because I told you that we could only read three books instead of five books. You're really upset. And it's just like, it's like validation. Like, everyone needs constant... Everyone wants to be seen, yeah, you know, and then yeah. he's like, yeah,
0: you know, and he just cries. And you're because like, if I you see you're really upset about that. If you don't, your kid will grow up to be a musician or an artist
1: <laughs> so they can be seen. I'm trying to get him on the straight and narrow right towards like a legal profession <laughs> or medical.
0: <laughs> could it be an accountant or something? Just By a behind please. the scenes kind of thing. <laughs> so I think that you could do that. But I do think everyone needs boundaries. So like even yeah. if you see someone making a mistake, give them. If you, I just always think like if somebody tried to get me to change, I would be like, fuck you oh yeah
1: Some people like- did try to get me to change and i it, it just pushed me away from them cuz i thought this person doesn't understand me also they're judging me and like now i feel really uncomfortable around them and you just by nature will now avoid that person cuz you don't want to feel weird
0: i do sometimes i think it's funny to think about if i like step back and I think, and I think about myself literally wearing like a judge's robes and a powdered <laughs> wig and holding a gavel. <laughs> it puts into perspective how inappropriate it is for me to judge other people's lives. That's sometimes really funny. I just imagine I'm just like order in the court, order in the court, <laughs> or like I just imagine the Law and Order theme song sometimes when someone's telling me a story in my head. <laughs> I'm just like gung gung dun 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 dun. dun. <laughs> oh my god! I think Ponyo has
1: something to offer. Ponyo. What do you Ponyo, do, Ponyo, when you see other dogs that are just, like, totally not having good dog boundaries, and you're like, oh, they're totally going to get in trouble, but...
0: I bark at them in a crazy way and pull at my leash and try to kill them. Does it help? No. Does it help? It doesn't mm. help I get dragged away. Mm, maybe you need boundaries, too, Ponyo. Boundaries. Uh, Michelle, you have a book coming out in May. I do. I'm so
1: excited about it. It's called Against Memoir, Complaints, Confessions, and Criticisms. It's an essay collection.
0: What is your favorite essay in here? Mm, that's a weird really question. Like, no, it's, okay. it's not, though. <laughs> I just came out okay, I, I, like, like, I, <laughs> I feel like... I feel, what's I feel like... like <laughs> I, what's your favorite color? What's the show with Sasha Burrow got at Ali G show? Yo, Michelle, respect. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite color? <laughs> Purple. Okay. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so what's funny. You, I just... I really liked this a lot. I thought it was really good. Thank you. Um,
1: Well, you know, I thought it was going to be, uh, to me, it seemed like kind of a scam, easy way to get a book out without writing a book because over the years, I've, I've written various you know pieces for the internet or magazines and I thought, oh, we'll just collect them into a little collection and then I'll have a book and I won't have to write anything. But in fact, publishers are on to you. And they're like, can you please write, like, four new essays? So mm. so I guess the ones I like best are the newer ones just because they're more new to me. So yes. I like the, the title essay, the title track, Against Memoir. I had fun writing that. How do you feel about memoir now? Um, you know, I feel much more complicated about it than I used to when I was, like, had, like, the bravado of youth and alcoholism just to be like, whatever. Sorry if you're my literary crossfire. Should have acted right? Like, I don't have that anymore. I feel more... Um, Empathy and stuff for empathy and stuff. I feel, like, you know, like a lot of empathy and stuff for the people that I've written about, and I often feel embarrassed at how brazen I was, and um, you know, and in spite of that, still deeply compelled to write memoir. So you know, I feel totally complicated about it, um, and that's kind of what the that piece is about. And then I wrote a piece about when I went to Poland. Um yeah that was I was I feel like enough time passed that I could write about that that was like interesting to write about and then what are their new pieces oh i wrote this really epic piece about um a bunch of people who were part of like a dyke street gang punk ga- punk gang called the hags that sort of ran around the mission district in san francisco in the 90s oh i
0: didn't read that essay yet that's exciting oh yeah i skipped
1: around oh well that was you know they were um it's it's like a really complicated story they were i mean i only really knew them from afar and i knew that they were like dangerous and were doing drugs and like living lives that were like wild and wilder than mine were at that what mine was at that time um but i just thought they were so tough and sexy and like the epitome of like queer female punk like they were it and um but you know they were living like hard lives they were doing hard drugs and And they were complicated people and some folks um, died and it was, you know, it was really hard on the community because they'd meant a lot to so many people in San Francisco. It was like a tight knit kind of dyke community of the nineties. So, so yeah, I mean, I'm kind of an outsider to that story, but not completely. So it was like an interesting place where I wasn't so close to it that, I don't know how to explain it. it. was far enough outside of it that I felt like I could see them as characters but close enough to it that I understood they're real f- people. <laughs> I don't know, edit that out. That doesn't make any sense.
0: Chris, Chris, hard edit to Chris. Thanks,
1: thanks, Chris. Hi, Chris.
0: Um, um, I like the idea of getting older and um, looking back at memoir, considering memoir. I do feel like I mean, as we as we both know, my mom gave me a great review on Amazon for Fetch. That was so abusive it got taken down.
1: I can't. That's. I mean, that says everything that it got taken down that's
0: crazy. My friend said it's like if Joan Crawford had the internet, which which I thought was really funny. Wow. But, wow, that's amazing. But it does, I mean, as you get older, there are consequences or I I I don't know if this happens to you, but I ended up feeling more private about my personal life as I got older. I just felt like so many things I had given to people that the things that were left I really fiercely guarded as mine. I don't know if that's your vibe it's,
1: or not. No, it's like, I feel like, for whatever reason, I feel pretty comfortable being really open um, about my life experiences and stuff and my thoughts. But I feel, I guess I feel sad for my, like, my mom, you know, like, who who could have predicted the internet? Like, I didn't know that, like, my books would be, like, available to, you know, people like the adults that I was around when I was growing up that they would find it during the on the internet and read them and then my mother would feel embarrassed and like st- st- stuff like that makes me feel bad so if I know that I have something coming out and I've written honestly about my childhood and I know that it will make her feel bad like that hurts my heart but I do it anyway you
0: know so I don't know cuz you're just telling your experience yeah I'm compelled to do it because
1: I'm mentally ill
0: Oh yeah, what is that called? You write about this in your book. What is the oh, mental illness
1: Hypergraphia.
0: Well, you tell people what hypergraphia. Oh, is? well, I you know, I got I got I, there's this book
1: um that's called uh The Midnight Disease and I can't remember the woman's name who wrote it, but she's like a like a neuroscientist from Harvard and um who, and she herself became hypergraphic after I think a miscarriage and it 's this condition that it 's like a mental condition that people can sometimes get um, as a result of trauma where they just ha- they, they have to narrate their lives they have to write about their lives they become just super compelled to write and its but it 's about their own experience and When I first started writing memoir, like I was sort of fresh I've, i mean i 've always been a writer and i 've always wanted to write but then sort of on the heels of this really big family trauma, I became completely obsessed, completely compelled about writing my own story. And that's when I started really writing seriously and with a vengeance and wrote my first book in Valencia. So I feel like I, it was like mental illness <laughs> and I'm that my brain is wired in a really strange way. And for me, I feel like it's possibly connected to um, being an alcoholic and all this other stuff. Like, I don't know. It's like a weird neurological soup for me
0: when we're fixed. We will no longer write. I mean, I
1: one of the questions I asked in Against Memoir is about like can you get sober from writing
0: Ugh. memoir, you know? Like what does that what would that look like? That was the other me. thing we talked about in episode one was if oh, somebody no. wrote you a check for a quadrillion dollars, would you stop writing? And you were like, yes.
1: <laughs> for a quadrillion dollars, I definitely would stop writing. And They're I would doing make doing any movies. kind of art. Oh, I stopped. Okay, yeah. But, but I could yes. travel.
0: You could travel, but you can't be an artist. You can't tell anyone about it. You can't do comedy about it.
1: Okay, but you- I could go to shows and stuff
0: and talk to my friends and stuff
1: like yeah. that. Okay, that's cool. Kind of like make jokes with my friends and stuff.
0: or am i like muzzled
1: like i'm not allowed to talk anymore you are revisiting the question i
0: don't know because also you weren't a comedian when i asked you this question so now you have like new art forms that are creeping into all of your life producer ponyo has something to say
1: i mean producer ponyo is rolling around on my lap like i am a dead seagull makes me like wonder what's on my pants that ponyo is liking it so
0: much All right, Michelle, last question. Do you have any questions for me about the podcast?
1: Yeah, I mean, I want to know, like, how the hell have you made a podcast work for, like, 100 episodes? Coming up on 100 episodes, you make it come out every week. Like, what is your process and your schedule like to make that work?
0: Mental illness? Yeah. See? Okay, cool. Uh, Workaholism? Uh-huh. It was a way to stuff my feelings Mm -hmm. and avoid my life.
1: It definitely works. It
0: works great. Mm Do you get a sense of accomplishment?
1: Yeah. It's a much more... Fulfilling addiction.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, producer Chris Sutton and I are partners, mm-hmm. not romantically. Right. We're business business partners. We're business partners in a zero income business. <laughs> uh, pano is pano thinks that Z is a third equal partner. I mean, I guess part Ponyo is, but Chris and I do most of the work. Yeah. No offense. <laughs> um. So every week, so we just we just have a schedule. We have a routine. Every week, I get Chris, the interviews, hopefully by Tuesday. Um, the closer I get to the deadline, which is Thursday, the more edits I have to do on my own, like telling him. I have to listen to things. I have to listen to my my own interviews and write like, okay, at 1225, cut out, you wow. know, Michelle saying that thing. Cut <laughs> <laughs> everything Michelle
1: said about the pansexual person because yeah, the- <laughs> half of it, she was thinking polyamory instead of pansexualism because... Yeah, she has mom brain for now.
0: Yeah, like just like cut out or like cut out this Republican rant that somebody did <laughs> from like 1223 to like 1315 <laughs> or whatever and I like write the exact phrasing, I write the exact edits. But so I do the interviews on my own. Sometimes off the the cuff like that like 2 days before or a day before, sometimes weeks in advance and we have them all banked. Um sometimes it just happens to be where I'm at. I'm like, who lives here? I don't know. Or sometimes it's like big things like I, like, pitched to their publicist or their publicist pitched to me. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes it's just like, oh, shit, I need a podcast. Who am I hanging out this week? So-and-so. Well, you used to stay in the car with me and talk to me for, like, 15 minutes. And that's how we do it. like, Beth, could you please just, like, you know, FaceTime with me this week? And so I send them to Chris. And every Chris has a full-time job and a baby oh and God. a partner and a band and a radio show. What? Oh, yeah. He has a very cute baby named Vivian Galaxy. Oh, God. Oh God! Viv, best name ever. I know, and so um, here, let me just pull this picture up first to look at <laughs> <But>, um But <laughs> but so Chris every Thursday after he gets off work, and maybe if he's playing a show or DJing after that. He sits down, does the edits, puts in the music, um, puts everything in, and he works on it until about 2 o'clock in the morning every Thursday night and puts it up at 2 a.m. on Thursday. Also, Thursdays, wherever I am in the world, in a car, in my house, at a retreat, wherever, I will find a quiet corner and by myself go, today on Sagittarian Matters, Ponyo Georges, Rolls on Michelle's lap like a dead seagull. Stay tuned. <laughs> wherever I am. And then I send those to Chris from my cell phone. Oh, my From wherever God. I am. And does, then Does he tell you what to say? No, I, oh, I write okay. it down. Like, I have all these little things where I write down people's bios, and I write down exactly what I'm going to say. I'm like, you uh-huh. know, Michelle T is a memoirist, the author of blah, 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 and the founder of Sister Pen. She, you oh know, goodness. and then I say all the things, and then Chris puts it together, and it's up every Friday morning before people wake up. Wow. And then we just do it all again. And I think we're gonna to try to look for advertisers or yeah. um, underwriters. Cool. So that Chris can get paid more, or maybe I could even—I mean, oh no—I could give get these paid. People
1: money. Give us some money. Give these
0: people some money. But um, yeah, and we're gonna start doing more live shows, and uh, that's it. Oh, that's fun. That mm-hmm. sounds really fun. It is fun, and I, but I think that we have a routine, and we just both do it. And there's been very few weeks that we've missed in the routine. Wow. Yeah. Well, you should feel very proud, both of you. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. We're happy to produce this queer feminist artist podcast. Thanks, producer Chris. Thanks, Chris. Sagittarian Matters is produced by Chris Sutton with assistance by Ponyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time. A very happy birthday this week goes out to producer Chris. Chris Sutton, we very literally could not put out the podcast without you. Thank you for being the best human podcast producer on the face of the planet Earth. And Ponyo has something to say. Happy birthday to you! Happy birthday to you! Happy birthday, dear Chris! Happy birthday!